Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We are doing a bit of a mailbag episode today. Uh, we've, we'll preview a little bit of the Washington State game coming up this weekend. A nice homecoming for the Ducks. Um, we'll get into some numbers for that game, get my uh, my official prediction on that. But I want to turn it over to you guys. Um, this is It's a good point in the season, midway point in the season, to kind of answer some of your questions. I know we've got a lot of questions after last week's game. Um, you know, the, the tough loss for Oregon, some of the decision-making for Lanning, the offensive play calling. Um, there's a lot to get into with that. Um, and just an outlook for the season. This is a, a critical point in Oregon season going forward with uh, what's still on the table for them, um, what they can do to finish this out. So a lot of good stuff for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Like I said up top, we are doing a mailbag episode today, and then after that, um, I think we've got six, seven questions. Really good turnout for the mailbag today. After that, we will get into some of the Washington State numbers, um, get an idea on what's uh, what's to come for the Ducks. But let's go ahead and uh, and jump into this. I'm going to start with a question from Cameron. Uh, he said, with Tez Johnson being the fastest player on the field pretty much at all times, why do the Ducks not use him in more of a Tyreek Hill fashion and try and blow the top off of opposing defensive schemes and get him the ball in space? It feels like he's heavily underutilized. I think that's a really good question. Um, this this kind of drives home a point I talked about a little bit on Sunday in that podcast that I've talked about with um, friends and on other podcasts recently. I think that I, I've been impressed with Will Stein. Um, as the offensive coordinator, I think it's hard not to be impressed when you look at the Ducks numbers. I mean, they lead the nation in scoring, they lead the nation in total yards, lead the nation in first downs. Bo Nix leads the nation in completion percentage. Um, I still, I can't help but feel there's still room to grow because I really want to see a little bit more creativity from this offense. Um, you know, it's, you can look at all the numbers and say, Hey, that's great. But when you watch Oregon's offense, it feels like they're kind of a, a three-trick pony at this point. They've got the running game behind Bucky Irving and one of the best offensive lines in the nation. Um, they've got the quick screen, quick pass game where Bo Nix just, you know, two-step, three-step drop, get the ball out as quick as possible and find his playmakers, you know, out in space. That's good. They get the ball to their players as quickly as possible, let them go to work. And then they've got the deep passing game where Bo Nix, credit to him, I said uh, coming into this game that that's one of the things I wanted to see improve the most during the bye week was some of that that deep ball connection and see Nix hit Franklin a little bit more on those deep routes. That happened against Washington, uh, against Washington with, uh, I believe, it was 154 uh, reception yards for, uh, for Franklin, and Nix had a banner day, obviously, but... What's missing in there is the intermediate passing, which, uh, you know, this, I know I'm not getting directly to Cameron's question, but um, it's just, it drives home the fact that there needs to be a little bit more creativity and there, this offense needs to expand a little bit, in my opinion. And that's, that's all fair because Will Stein is a young coordinator. I believe he's 34, 33, 34 is, um, you know, he's, he's new at this. He's learning on the job still. 
but I think that there's still so much room for for Oregon's offense to grow. And to Cameron's point, yes, I think that this team could be using Tez Johnson in a much more um, invigorating role and in a much more exciting role. He's he's such a dynamic player. He's small, definitely. Um, I I would love if he was able to add ten pounds and and you know there's. When you're that size, I believe he's 160 pounds, maybe soaking wet. When you're that size, there's always injury risk. Um, so it may be tough to get him some of these gadget plays. And, um, you know, you don't want to risk getting him up and, and getting him hurt. But I think there is a lot of things that the Ducks offense could do. Um, you mean, you just, you watch the NFL on Sunday. You watch some of the things that the Eagles do. You watch some of the things that the Dolphins do with Mike McDaniels. Um there's uh, and Kyle Shanahan. I I should not um, avoid mentioning him. He's an incredible offensive coach, and just the way that they draw things up and these little gadget plays and trick plays. Um, you know, coaching is a it's a copycat league. Um, you know, I we've talked to coaches all the time. They say that hey, they looked at something that someone else did, and it's easy to throw that in your playbook and say hey, let's let's practice that. Let's try this a little bit. So. Um, I would love if I had contact with Will Stein to send him a few clips of some of the Dolphins are doing with Tyreek Hill or something that the uh, the Eagles are doing with Devonta Smith. And I think that it, it could be really fun to see Oregon try and do that. But, um, you know, that's there's a reason that I'm not getting paid uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to be an offensive coordinator, an offensive play caller. But um, I agree. Going forward, I would love to see a little bit more creativity with Tez Johnson because I think that his speed is so elite. He's got game-breaking speed. I think he could absolutely take the top off the top off of a defense, and um, he's he could really be a, a big weapon for them going forward. This next question is from Shane. Um, Shane asks, "Was this the most talent that there's ever been on the field for?" He's called it the the Cascadia Cup. Um, I'm more preferential to the the Cascade Clash. Um, whatever you want to call it, I think we do absolutely need a name for this rivalry between Oregon and Washington because it is going forward with um, the unknown between Oregon and Oregon State. This is Oregon's biggest rivalry game with the two of them now going to the Big Ten. So regardless, was this the most talent that's ever been on the field for this game? Um, you know, I I think a historian probably needs to has a has a better opportunity to answer this. I don't know. I don't think I can accurately answer this from a Washington perspective. I can say for Oregon, I think it's right up there. Um, I think you look at the the team building that Dan Lanning has done since coming to Eugene, the way he's been able to recruit, the way he's been able to use the transfer portal. Um, I think this is absolutely one of the most talented teams that we've ever seen um, in Eugene from top to bottom, really, too. I mean, you've got... Bo Nix, one of the best quarterbacks in, in program history. He's rising up the ranks in stats. Um, he's the um, one of the most experienced quarterbacks that's that's ever played, if not the the most experienced quarterback that's ever played for Oregon with 53 starts. You've got Troy Franklin, who is rapidly becoming the best wide receiver in program history. He's um, getting close to a lot of single-season records and career records at Oregon. There's a a pretty good chance that he's going to go down as the best receiver in Oregon history after this year. Uh, Bucky Irving is, is again, climbing up the ranks for, for running backs in Oregon history. Look across the defensive line. I mean, there's so many blue chip players, four-star, five-star players that um, are on the defensive line in the secondary. I think this is, yeah, I think it's, that's something you can definitely say that this is probably one of the most talented teams that Oregon's ever had. 
again with Washington, I can't really, you know, I don't know Washington's roster or Washington's history well enough to accurately say that. I know they're really good. I know that they've got three NFL wide receivers, um, a first round NFL quarterback. Uh, they've got a really solid defense, a really solid offensive line. Um, you know, they're, they're a really, really solid team. So um, without getting into specifics, I don't know, I can say it's their most talented team ever, but yeah, if you were to, if someone were to be able to go through and, and find the blue chip ratio for both these teams compared to years past, it would not at all surprise me to say that this was the most talented uh, cascade clash that we've ever seen. This question's from Casey. Uh, do you think that Oregon can beat Utah on the road and that Washington can beat USC on the road? Uh, that's a good question. Those are two of the bigger, you know, Pac-12 games coming up, and I think the answer is probably yes to both of them. I'm going to start with Washington um, against USC on the road. I have no, I've got no worries about Washington beating USC at this point, and that goes the pretty much everything I'm saying about Washington against USC is how I feel about Oregon against USC right now as well. Um, what we've seen from the Trojans over the past few weeks. They're, they're really just starting to unravel, it feels like. I mean, we knew that their defense was going to be spotty. They gave up, you know, a ton of points to Colorado, a ton of points to Arizona. They gave up 48 points to Notre Dame in that 48-20 to 20 loss this last week. But what's been, you know, so surprising to see for me is that their offense has really been underperforming as well, which you don't really expect that when you've got Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman winner at quarterback, but... The problem hasn't been with Caleb. It's been with their offensive line. They absolutely cannot protect Caleb Williams right now, and it's having an impact on the rest of the offense because he's got no time to throw the ball. He had three first-half interceptions against Notre Dame. Um, his pressure rates, um, he's been pressured, I think it's 54, 55 times in the past four weeks alone, which is which ranks fifth in all of college football. Um, they're really struggling on the offensive side of the ball because they can't get him time to to do what he does best. And he's a great quarterback when you get him outside of the pocket and you get him scrambling and trying to make things happen on the run, but you can't ask him to do that every down. Um, you know, he still has to have a clean pocket to operate from and to be able to pick apart a defense. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to, I've seen a lot of people kind of start to write off USC over the past week, especially I want to slow down there a little bit. This is still a really, really talented team, a really well-coached offensive team. Um, defensively, it's a different story, but um, let's pump the brakes a little bit on the saying USC is absolutely done. Um, I know they haven't looked great uh, in the past few weeks. They're still 6-1. and one. They're still undefeated in Pac-12 play. They still could kind of, um, you know, ride the ship a little bit and, and go on a run and get a spot in the Pac-12 championship. That's absolutely still in the question. Um, I don't think that's likely because of the flaws that we've seen, uh, because of how they've looked. Um, but it's it's still very possible. But anyway, with the the Washington against USC, I think Washington's offense is uh, far too good for USC to be able to do anything with. And then, you know, USC's offense, you could say, oh, it's going to be a shootout. They can win a shootout. I don't know. Washington's defense is really solid. We saw what they did against the Ducks. So the Ducks still got yards and got points, but. Um, they were really opportunistic against Oregon and they stepped up in big um, occasions, especially on those fourth downs. It was part of us from play calling for the Ducks, 
but you also have to give a ton of credit to Washington's defense. They were, they defended those plays very well. So um, yes, I long answer short. I do think the Washington can go on the road and, and beat USC. Similarly, I think that Oregon can absolutely go on the road and beat Utah as well. I know that um, Duck fans probably are not too happy about traveling to Utah. I know a lot of Oregon fans are actually very happy that this is probably the last time they'll ever have to travel to Utah, um, at least the for, for the foreseeable future. But that's just an incredibly tough place to play. Um, I think that the Ducks got a break when it was announced earlier this week that that game's being played at 12.30 p.m., um, that's much more advantageous than playing a night game in Utah because crazy things happen there at night. Um, you've got the elevation. That's always a factor. And that's just, it's an incredibly tough place to play. I've actually never been to Utah. I've never been to that stadium, but I'm going this year and I can't wait because everyone who's been says it's just a, an incredible environment. One of the prettiest stadiums in all the pac 12. So um, I'm really looking forward to that game, but as far as on the field play, yeah, I think that, Oregon should feel pretty good about this game and that's with or without cam rising quarterback cam rising being back for for Utah he tore his ACL back in um, January in the Rose Bowl so it's really only been 10 months of recovery right now I know there were questions at the start of the year that he might only miss a game or two and then be able to return we're still waiting for his return and without him Utah's offense really has not been very impressive. I mean, it's it's remarkable that they've managed to become 5-1 and one this year and still have a ranked team and still look really good. Um, credit to their defense because the defense has been very solid this year. Um, that's, you know, that's the biggest question for Oregon is if their offense can, able to, can be able to get a lot of things going on Utah's defense. And I I think that we've seen enough proof this year, enough a big enough sample size to think that the answer should be yes. Um, I know that Utah's defense is better than Washington's, but with what Oregon was able to do with Washington this last week, I I feel confident that Bo Nix and Troy Franklin and Bucky Irving and Tez Johnson and Terrence Ferguson, like there's just so many weapons in Oregon's offensive line. Um, there's so many things that the Ducks do well and consistently well that I think that they should be able to go on the road. And again, with as good as Oregon's defense is, um, you know, I even if Cam Rising is back, he's going to be so rusty at that time. I mean, this game is in two weeks, less than two weeks. So Cam Rising could come back today. And in 10 days notice, I don't think he's going to be able to knock the rust um, quick enough to be able to have a, an amazing Cam Rising type game for Utah. So I trust Oregon's defense. Um, I trust Oregon's offense. I think that they, it's, I'm not saying it's going to be a, a blowout. I think it's still going to be a tough game. Um, any game against Utah and any game in Salt Lake city is always going to be tough, but I feel confident that Oregon can win that. This question is from James. Uh, how has Bo Nix dropped so far in the Heisman odds when he outperformed Penix uh, statistically, but got a loss because of a few bad officiating calls and bad luck on a couple of plays that could have iced the game. Okay, there's a lot there. Let me break down the question. There's, I agree with some of this. Um, I disagree with others. You know, it's yes, the stats show that Bo Nix outperformed Michael Penix. He had a more yards passing, a higher um, completion percentage, fewer turnovers. Yes, that's all good. Um, I I struggle to say that he outperformed him still because one, Penix had more touchdowns. He had some some incredible throws in that game. Um, and Nix missed a few plays for sure. There was there's several throws in that game that I'm sure Bo wants back. 
Um, I don't think Pinnix outperformed Bo either. I think they they both you know were on a very level stage. Um, but that kind of goes to the to the whole question that how has Bo Nix dropped so far in the Heisman odds? Um, I forget exactly what it was, but going into the the game, Bo Nix was number two, Pinnix was number one. Actually, Bo Nix was number three, I believe, with Caleb Williams in there. Um, Caleb Williams obviously has dropped way down the list now with his three interceptions and a, a tough game against Notre Dame. But surprisingly, Nix, despite having a really good game, despite being one of the reasons that Oregon almost won that game, um, he he certainly played well enough for them to win that game. He dropped, I think, to number eight or number nine on the in the betting odds. I think his odds are plus I forget what it was plus two thousand um, when they were plus six hundred coming into this game. Um, I'll have to go back and check that out. I, I, I'm not sure it was two thousand, but regardless, I think he's eighth or ninth on the um, on the list of odds right now, which is um, you know that. <laughs> It feels like if you're a betting man, you should probably take those odds right now because I think that that's a little bit of an overreaction to the loss. Um, you know, I we we can't say that these Heisman odds are a direct reflection of Heisman voters because you know these are just sportsbook odds from from FanDuel sportsbook that have Nick's rated that low. Um, I think he should be much higher. I don't think he should have dropped at all. I think he proved in that game that he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and should be considered, um, you know, up there with Penix, up there with um, Jordan Travis is up there. Um, Dylan Gabriel for Oklahoma is up there. Those guys, um, you know, if, if Oregon turns around and they win out, which is something I think is very possible. We'll get to that a little bit later, but are you trying to, do you believe that, you know, if Oregon gets to the PAC 12 title game with one loss, um, if they potentially beat Washington or whoever in that Pac-12 title game and get to the college football playoff. Do you think that Bo Nix would not be right in the thick of that Heisman conversation once again? Um, that's not a scenario that I think is too crazy to um, to foresee. I can see all of that happening. I think it's, it's actually pretty likely to happen. So um, I don't think Nix should be this high or this low on the, the Heisman board. Uh, I think that's quite a bit of an overreaction. Um, because he he absolutely played well enough to win this game. I know there's a few throws that he wants back, a few fourth down conversions where um, he definitely could have made a different play. Um, you know, it could have been different play calls as well. He could have checked into some different stuff. Um, but yeah, him him dropping from number three to I believe it's number eight on the Heisman board. I think that's quite a bit of an overreaction. All right, this question is from Richard. Richard asks, if Dan Lanning gets another crack of that game, do you think he makes any different decisions on fourth downs? Um, that's a good question. I know that I think a lot of Oregon fans have been asking themselves this. I'm sure that Dan Lanning has been asking himself this over the past couple of days too. I I don't think he does. I think if there's any fourth down that he calls differently, it's probably the one right before the half where he takes a field goal instead of going for it. But even then... And we talked to him on Monday night and I asked him first question that if, you know, with the ability of hindsight to look back at this and after watching the tape, did he feel better or did he feel worse about any of his calls? And he said that that one before the half is the one where he could have gone back and said, Hey, we really could have done this either way. Um, and, and felt good about it. But the other two, the one in the third quarter, fourth and three from the eight, um, and the one in the fourth quarter, fourth and three from the 47 with a chance to, to ice the game. He said that, you know, those are two that he, you know, he would do again. Absolutely. He, he thinks that he made the right call. I think he made the right call on those as well. 
Um, I've been a little bit flip floppy on the punts or no punts on the last one on the fourth quarter. I absolutely understand why Lanning did it. Maybe I'm just a little bit more risk averse than he is, which is understandable. Um, I, I probably would have punted it there because I trust your defense. I, um, I trust them to stop Penix from going 80, 90 yards in two minutes with no timeouts. I just, I think they've been playing really well to that point, but um, regardless, I, I really, I like the call. I understand why it was made. Um, I just might've done things differently, but um, in general, I think that landing feels pretty good about what he did um, in his decision-making and what's most impressive is, well, not impressive, but what's most insane about this is that coming into this year, Oregon was one of the highest rated teams in the nation in fourth down conversion rate. They were eight of 10 this year, 80% this year coming into this game on converting fourth downs. They went over three on Saturday against Washington. Uh, you know, Lanning even said on Monday, he said, Hey, the fact that we didn't get any of those, that's kind of an, an anomaly. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of crazy that we didn't convert any of those. Um, I think you should trust this offense to be able to get two yards, three yards on a single play, especially when they're averaging over uh, six yards per play in this game. Um, so I think, you know, if you had a chance to run this game back, um, you know, if you play this game a hundred times, I think Oregon wins uh, 50, at least maybe 55, 60, because I think that you can feel confident that they get one or two of those fourth down conversions at the very least. And that completely changes the game. So uh, to answer the question, if, if Dan got another crack at this game, I, I don't think he makes any different decisions. Um, I think he, he might kick the field goal. Uh, rather than the fourth down or rather than the, than going forward in the second quarter. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he still went for it too, because that's who Dan Lanning is. He's a, a very aggressive head coach, um, aggressive decision-making and he trusts his players, which uh, I think in the end is the right call. All right. A couple more here. This one is from Jason. Um, Oregon versus Washington is the expected rematch in the PAC 12 championship. Which teams do you think have the best chance to get in the way of that rematch? Um, yeah, I feel like we're, there's been a lot of, you know, the narrative over this past week is like, all right, we're going to see these two teams again in Vegas. We are going to get the, the part two rematch on December 1st in Las Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game with Oregon and Washington. Um, while I think that's the case, while if I had to put money on it, that's what I would, um, that's what I would bet on. There's, there's absolutely a chance that, you know, someone ruins this and, um, we've always seen the Pac-12 cannibalize itself. We've always seen teams like Arizona, Oregon State, Arizona State, Washington State. They kind of um, they find a way to upset someone down the stretch. And you know, with the Pac-12 as strong as it is this year, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at all. Um, you know, it, a lot of people are saying, "All right, Washington's going to go 12 and 0. They're going to run the table. They're going to meet Oregon, who's 11 and 1." Um, it just, it feels like a really good point to bring up that, um, no pack 12 since it expanded from pack 10 to pack 12, no pack 12 team has ever run the table and gone undefeated in this conference. I don't know why we would expect that in this season where the pack 12 is stronger than it has ever been with as many as eight teams in the top 25 at one point. Um, I don't know why we expect that to happen this year. Yes. Washington's hardest game is probably out of the way against Oregon. Um, they still have to play USC. They still have to play Utah. They still have to play Oregon State. They still have to play Washington State. Um, there are several 
opportunities for someone to upset them. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it should even be favored to happen, but uh, I I don't think that this is going to be a year where anyone runs the table. And if they do, they should be considered one of the, you know, one of the best teams the Pac-12 has ever seen. One of the best teams that college football has ever seen, because this is a gauntlet for any team to get through. And if they can get through that unscathed, that should be pretty impressive. Um, but if I'm going back to the question to see, you know, which team I think has the best chance to get in the way of that Oregon Washington rematch. Um, I really think that the team that concerns me the most going forward, it has to be Oregon state. Um, I'm not too concerned about USC because of their flaws. Utah's got some flaws offensively. Washington state is not the team they were two weeks ago. They've been dealing with some injuries and I think the shine's kind of been taken off them a little bit. Um, Oregon State is really solid, man. Uh, they've been dealing with a little bit of inconsistency early on, but that's expected when you've got a, an incoming transfer quarterback with DJ Uyunglele. Um, Their defense isn't as good as it was last year, but their defense is still very solid. And when they're clicking on offense, when DJU's having a good game, when their running backs are having good games, uh, Damian Martinez, Deshaun Fenwick, they're – they're a really formidable team and they're one of the best coach teams in the conference as well. So um, if I'm Washington, I can't remember where that game is for Washington. I believe it's in Corvallis. Um, that's an incredibly tough game and a, a tough environment to play in. You're going to have the chainsaws buzzing on third down. It's going to be loud. Um, it's, I think that's a late season game, so it's probably going to be nasty weather up here in Oregon. Um, that's something that I have circled to watch for Washington. Um, I would not be at all surprised to see Oregon win that or Oregon state win that, excuse me. Um, and likewise for Oregon, that's a, an incredibly tough game for Oregon against Oregon state as well. That's going to be a week 13 game last week of the season down here in Austin. It's the, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So, um, that's, it's likely going to be poor weather as well. I'm excited if I'm an Oregon fan that that's being played at home. We saw what, Reeser could be like even while under construction last year. That was an incredibly tough environment to play in. Um, there's there's a really good chance that that game between Oregon and Oregon State, the last game of the Civil War that we know of right now, we'll see when that game's played again, um, hopefully in the next coming couple of years, but that still needs to be scheduled and a lot of things need to be figured out for that to happen. But um, there's a really good chance that that game is winner goes to the Pac-12 title game. And I don't think that you could draw up any, I don't think you could ask for anything more. I mean, the stakes on that would be absolutely incredible for um, the last game in this rivalry series for the time being, um, you know, the best both teams have been for a long time. The best Oregon state's been in a long, long time. And if both teams go into that game with one loss and the winner goes to Las Vegas for a, a chance to go to the pack or a chance to win the pack 12 title for a spot in the college football playoff, that's everything you want. I mean, that's that's the absolute beauty of college football, right? In a nutshell, um, I I <laughs> I kind of hesitate to say I can't wait for that to happen. I hope that happens because that sounds like way too much stress. To be completely honest, um, I know I'm, I'm supposed to take my fan hat off for this, but if I could put my fan hat on for a little bit, I know that all you guys listening can agree with me here. That sounds incredibly stressful and incredibly anxiety ridden um, to have that much lying on one game and a rivalry game. And, um, you know, I've got family and friends that are Oregon state fans. I'm sure a lot of people are 
uh, in the same boat where this rivalry is so close to home and um, it's on Thanksgiving weekend. So you'll probably be, there's a chance you're watching this game with some of those Oregon state fans in your family. So um, I don't know, maybe, maybe this doesn't happen, but it, it feels like things are kind of going in that direction, which would be absolutely insane. All right, let's finish it off on this question. Um, this one's from Eric. This one, I, I think it's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek question, but I, it's a good one to finish out on. He asks, why are the Ducks cursed? Um, it, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, it feels like over the past decade or two, um, Oregon has routinely been in these positions to to get over the hump with one of those big wins. Um, and it they kind of find a way to lose in these excruciating fashions game after game. Um, you go all the way back to the the national championship against Auburn. Um, you know the the dire uh, dire was down. Um, that play call, uh, the fact that Cam Newton even played that game when there was the investigation going on, um, the fact that they couldn't get the job done against Ohio State in the championship game, um, even without their starting quarterback playing. Um, and you had who was it? Cardale Jones who played instead, and he was like one of the best backup quarterbacks we've ever seen in college football history. Um, shoot you go to the auburn game in 2019 at the start of the year that's an incredibly big game and oregon has a big lead and they give up the lead in the second half to bo Nix, of course um they lose that game you go to let's see what were some of the other ones you go to the washington game last year they've got a chance to ice the game with a short fourth down they don't get it um washington goes on to win of course that's very similar to how this game was uh, the Oregon State game last year, <laughs> of course, everything that happened again, you've got a fourth down that you could convert, ice the game, you give up, what was it, 34 straight running plays. I think it was a 17-point lead that Oregon blew. Um, yeah, God, I, I don't know that I believe in curses or that the Ducks are cursed, but if you do, I could see why you believe this. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's It's been a tough – it's, it's interesting to say – that it's been a tough decade for Oregon fans because obviously it hasn't been. I mean, I, I think there's probably over a hundred programs out there that would readily trade place with the ducks right now for the success that they've seen um, and just the future that they have going forward. But um, it's, it's certainly frustrating for Oregon fans that they've so many times come up short in these high pressure moments. Um, and it's, it's not because they weren't ready for the moment or they weren't, um, or they weren't good enough to, you know, win in those situations. It's not like they choked in these moments. It's just kind of that, you know, the ball sometimes bounces your way or bounces another way in football. And it more often than not seems to have bounced the other way for the ducks. So um, yeah, I, I hope that answered your question, Eric. I don't, I don't know that I believe in curses, but if you do, I certainly understand why you think that the ducks might be cursed. All right, real quick, let me um, let me break down this Washington State game coming up. It's I feel like a, some of the shine has been taken off of this game. Um, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, this matchup looked a lot more appealing and a lot more daunting for Oregon fans. Um, Washington State was coming off of a win against Oregon State, probably one of their biggest wins of the season. They also beat Wisconsin in a ranked game earlier this year as well. Um, they looked really good, but the past couple of weeks, they've really, really struggled. Um, they lost to, who was it? They lost to Arizona this past week, uh, 44 to six. And, you know, 
Arizona's a solid team. I think Arizona's proven that they're a really good team. They played Washington really tight a couple of weeks ago. They played USC really tight a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then they, they blew the doors off of Washington State this past week. But um, I don't think that Oregon fans should just look at this game and look at the past couple of results for Washington State and think this is going to be a breeze for the Ducks. Um, I do think that Oregon can win this game and can win the game comfortably, but it's certainly not a game where you can look past Washington State because as Oregon fans know, as a lot of Pac-12 fans know, Washington State is a giant killer and they can be absolutely dead in the season and still be that zombie team that that shows up for a certain game and um, can really throw some chaos into the conference. So, you know, I went through the... uh, the offensive ranks in the the for both Oregon and Washington State and the defensive ranks. Um, Oregon, like I said earlier, ranks first in scoring, first in total yards, uh, first in turnovers, first in completion percentage. They're ninth in passing, eighth in rushing, seventh in first downs. I mean, they're they're a top ten offense by any means. Washington State defense is not great. They're eighty sixth in scoring, one hundred eighteenth in passing, seventy fifth in rushing, one hundred eighth overall. So. Um, this is a game where Oregon's offense can definitely feast. They can put up 40, 50, 60 points if they want to. It's supposed to be a nice weather day on Saturday, so um, I don't think weather will be an issue. Um, this is a game where Oregon, if they're clicking and if they're you know locked in, which it sounds like they are, we'll get to that in a second, but um, this can be a banner day for Oregon to kind of get back on the horse. I know they didn't have a bad offensive day at all against Washington, but uh, for them to kind of remind people how good they can be when everything's clicking. Um, coincidentally, on the defensive side of the ball, Oregon's defense, their stats went down a little bit, obviously because they played the best offense in the nation in Washington, but they still have the 11th scoring defense, the the 17th passing defense, 16th rushing defense, 17th to- or 13th total defense, excuse me. Um, and Washington State's offense is a little bit better. Cam Ward, their quarterback, is incredibly good. Um, they've got the 29th scoring offense, 40th passing offense, 123rd rushing offense. So they're like Washington where they don't really run the ball very well. Um, actually Washington was able to run the ball decently well against Oregon. Uh, they went away from in the second half for some reason, but, um, you know, this is a, a game where the numbers show that Oregon should be able to dominate this game. Um, you you shouldn't be too scared of Washington's offense or their defense. You should feel confident in Oregon's offense and defense. But um, again, this is just a this is kind of a vibes game for me. You know, uh, last week we saw that the numbers were so even; it was just going to be who wants it more. This week it's going to be you know Oregon has the opportunity to blow out this game and make it not a close game, not a close contest. They're just going to have to want to do it, and sometimes that's tough when coming off of a you know, coming off a highly emotional loss to your biggest rivals. But so far, what we've heard from practice, what we've heard from coaches and players, what we've seen at practice has been incredibly encouraging. Um, Lanning told us on Monday night that, you know, the players, they wear these GPS units while practicing to kind of track speed and track how much uh, mileage they're putting on and how much exertion they go through. Lanning said that the speed numbers across the board from players on Monday were up 5% from any Monday practice they've had all year. Um, you know, it just shows that the players are, they're running hard. They're, they're working harder than they ever have. Um, and we talked to players yesterday. They said that that was the best Monday practice they've ever had. Um, and it continued on Tuesday, continued on Wednesday as well. 
Um, usually players, I believe, are in shells on Monday, and they came forward to the coaching staff and said, hey, we want to be in pads. We want to be hitting. We want to get after it. We want to get better. So I don't think that Oregon fans should have to worry too much about, um, you know, any hangover from this loss, any emotional hangover. I think that they should be able to get in there, get the job done, and uh, play a really good game. The last I saw the spread on this game was Oregon minus 20. It bounced around between minus 18 and minus 20 around there. So I think it'll settle around there. Um, my early lean, I haven't done, you know, I haven't formulated my, uh, my pick for this or anything, but my early lean would be towards Oregon minus the spread, uh, minus that 20 points. If it gets up into like 22, 24, I might hesitate a little bit, but I think this is a game where, um, on paper, Oregon should have a, a pretty easy day. They just have to go in there and, and take care of business. Um, if later in the week you're interested in, in finding out more of my picks, on Friday we will have our Ducks Wire roundtable where we make all of our predictions on, on stats and the over-under and the uh, the betting spread and our, our final game picks. So you can check out Ducks Wired for that. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find all at ductswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. Uh, I will talk to you guys on Saturday afternoon after the game, Saturday evening. That might be up Sunday morning as well. Um, until then, thank you for tuning in. Take it easy.